0: Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom, as always, and we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, by the time you're listening to this, the first college football playoff rankings will be out. Uh, we're actually recording this part of a podcast before uh, the rankings come out, but we will have a segment later in the show where we will talk about uh, the first edition of the college football playoff rankings that uh, we'll record later than we're recording right now so that uh, we can address that uh, development that is certainly going to be significant in Ohio State's season but want to start out by talking about the game against Penn State that uh, we watched on Saturday that a game that uh, we knew was going to be a bigger test for Ohio State but I'm not sure that people necessarily expected it to be as much of a test as it was and I want to Start out, really, by giving a shout-out to one of our listeners, Kodeezy. Because for those of you who listened to the show last week, he asked us a question. He said, would you guys be surprised if this ends up being a close game? I think he predicted something like 33-26 as one of his possible scores, and it was 33-24. So uh, shout-out to you, Kodeezy, because you were on it when I think really mostly everyone else was really drinking the Ohio state Kool-Aid going into last week's game. And I mean, everybody on our staff predicted Ohio state to win by at least 18 points. Some members of our staff predicted Ohio state to win by significantly more than that. But, you know, I did say when we answered that question last week that I really wouldn't be surprised if it ended up being a competitive game. I think you we're saying you would be a little bit more surprised if it ended up being a competitive game and particularly the fact that Ohio State's offense was not able to score with the same kind of ease that we had seen for the past month and that ended up making this game uh, one that you know fans had to hold their breath for the first time really since those first pre-games of the year
1: Losing to Illinois and Brett Bielema just has a certain effect on people's perception of a football team, I think, Dan. And that really is what coded this game going into it, was the fact that how good could Penn State really be against a team that looked as good as Ohio State when they had just lost such an underwhelming game against Illinois, who's, of course, one of the worst teams in the Big Ten year in and year out in the last several years. But in the end, Penn State did put up a pretty good showing against Ohio State. However, I still think... I think I predicted what, like 41 to to 20 or something like that. And if Ohio State had punched in one more of those scores in the red zone, ends up with a 40 to 24 game, kind of like Brian Day said after the game, I think things could have looked a little bit different if Ohio State just had a little more success doing the things on offense that it had shown capable of doing over the last month before that.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from the game is the way Ohio State struggled in the red zone. Because they got inside the 20-yard line, you know, not including the 38-yard touchdown to Chris Olave. They, they got inside the red zone six times, and they only scored a touchdown once. They settled for four field goals, which Noah Ruggles made all of them. And that ultimately ended up making a difference in the game. Uh, another time, they went for it on fourth down. Uh, Chris Olave got open. Uh, C.J. Stroud missed the throw. It was in turnover downs; Those things happened. But to see the consistent pattern in that game of how Ohio State's offense struggled in the red zone, because that's something we had seen in the Oregon game, too, when Ohio State lost that game. I and mean, Ohio State had over 600 yards of offense against Oregon and only scored 28 points. And this was kind of a similar... Game in in that sense Ohio State didn't quite get to 500 yards But they came close Against a defense that hadn't allowed More than 400 yards all year So they showed the ability To move the ball On a defense that had been One of the best in the country this year But they struggled to punch it in When they got down close to the goal line And I think that's if you're If there's a genuine concern To take out of this game It's that Because As you get into these tougher games at the end of the year, Ohio State's got to be able to finish off drives consistently.
1: I think it was really surprising Ohio State's struggles to run the ball against Penn State because we had just seen Illinois run for 357 against Penn State, despite Penn State's defense being very good. But I want to say on Travion Henderson's first 14 carries, I believe it was, he only had 20 yards. He really needed that big 68-yard breakout run there in the second half to kind of get his numbers up to par to where they ended up being. But even when Ohio State would have the ball – right on the goal line, pretty much. It was it was tough sledding for that Ohio State team to punch in a touchdown. It was fourth and an inch, pretty much. And Trayvon Henderson moves, gets a false start. Ohio State ends up kicking a field goal. Another similar situation like that. Ohio State was trying to punch another play in uh, later on a four-down series. CJ Stroud comes up short, trying to find Chris Olave in the end zone. Those were two plays that I was really ready to circle if Penn State was able to make a late run and maybe take the lead or, or, or something like that. I was ready to look, point at those plays and say, man, those plays were, were big turning points in terms of really kind of swinging things in the other direction.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in terms of the run game that it was a struggle. I mean, I I had predicted in our last call piece that we run on Saturday mornings that Travion Henderson would run for 150 yards, and he just barely did. It took him 27 carries to get there, and uh, I, I'll admit, while well, my prediction was right, I— did not think it was going to be that difficult for Ohio State to be able to move the ball on the ground against a Penn State defense that like you said had had struggled the week before against Illinois i thought you know them losing PJ Mustafa that was something that it hurt had hurt them against Illinois and i thought it might continue to hurt them against o- Ohio State but you know, really it, it was not a good game for the offensive line especially in the first half there were, you know, a lot more missed blocks than we had seen from the offensive line all year. Ryan Day, when he was asked about that Tuesday, he said he thought the way Penn State was shifting its defense around had something to do with that. We also saw that, you know, there were a lot more penalties from Ohio State than we'd really seen all year. A lot of false starts, uh, two snap infractions on Luke Whipler, just a lot of little mistakes that that can compound on each other. And and lead to a situation like that where Ohio State only went one for six in the red zone in terms of scoring touchdowns. So you know I don't want to make too much of it because if I mean if you look at their stats for the year, but before that game, they had for the most part been really good in the red zone. I mean they're still twenty four of thirty five for the year in terms of scoring touchdowns in the red zone. Thirty three of thirty five in terms of scoring period when they're in the red zone and there's before Saturday's game they had never had more than one possession inside the red zone in a game where they didn't score a touchdown so it's not as if it's something that's been some massive issue all year long but it is something that certainly they have to look at and figure out why it went wrong and how to improve it because there's probably going to be more games here coming up down the stretch where every point is going to matter for Ohio state.
1: I think a lot of us thought that Ohio state could potentially do similar things to the Penn state defense as it did to some of the other big 10 teams that's played in, in recent weeks. But we said that it would have to be clicking on all, all cylinders to do that and not have a lot of mistakes. But what we saw were, was that a lot of mistakes were made and you talk about those penalties, five false starts, two illegal snaps, six different players on offense were flagged four different things in that game. Whippler, you mentioned, Henderson, of course, I already talked about, Alave, Wilson, Dewan Jones, and Thayer Munford all had infractions on the night in terms of penalties, and when that happens, it gets the offense going backwards and kind of puts Ryan Day in, in a in a bind in terms of play calling and things of that nature. And in, another uh, penalty, Dan, if we want to get into this subject as well, was the, the steel chambers targeting, and, and in fact, with that play and some of the, the red zone struggles and self-inflicted wounds... The game started to have a bit of a, a Clemson, Fiesta Bowl feel a little bit. And I know some, one, of my other, uh, one of my friends was saying that, too, that if a couple of things had bounced the, the wrong way, it, it did start to feel a little bit Clemsonish in terms of that, the targeting call, Steel Chambers getting ejected, and a lot of the, the problems punching the ball into the end zone from the Ohio State offense.
0: Yeah, I think Jeff Okuda tweeted something about that during the game, of course, I'm sure referencing the uh, Sean Wade targeting call in that Clemson game that ultimately swung the game in Clemson's favor and and Clemson ultimately uh, winning that game two seasons ago that you were talking about. But Ohio State won this game. Ultimately, a, a win is a win over Penn State. If you beat Penn State by one point, it's a good win. So I don't think we should harp too much on this game in terms of The struggles in this game because there are supposed to be tough tests during the season and Penn State's a much better team even after the losses to Iowa and Illinois. Penn State's still a much better team than Indiana and and Rutgers and Maryland and so it shouldn't have come as a shock that this game was more competitive those games. I think You know, when the expectations get so high and when the team is, you know, rolling through opponent after opponent, then you see a game like this and it becomes more jarring. Like, oh no, what, what happened in this game? But you look at the last six years, every game against Penn State has been decided by 13 points or fewer. And this is the first time ever that Ohio State has won five straight games over Penn State. And so... To me, it's, it's still a good win. Like you mentioned before, as Ryan Day pointed out, if, if they had been able to finish off those drives in the red zone, it, it could have been a more lopsided game. And so I don't come out of this game with anything that's like, oh, wow, like this was you know a massive concern out of this game, anything like that. You know, I think certainly the struggles in the red zone were, were something that you need to look at and work on. You know, same with the struggles in the run game. And then I think on defense the thing you look at is Penn state, I think went 11 of 16 on third downs. So, you know, that was another thing that we saw early in the year with this defense struggling to get off the field on third downs. And we saw that reemerge in this game. So I think those are the things that if you're Ohio state, you need to look at and figure out how do we improve in these areas so that we can perform better in these areas. The next time we're in a close game, but I don't come out of a game you know, feeling like, oh, this was a really disappointing result. I come out of a game thinking, this was one of the biggest tests of the year. You survived it, and there's probably lessons they learned from this game that can now help them going forward. They just have to make sure they respond the right way, because I did make the point last week about the comparisons to 2014 and 2017, and, and this, this kept right along the line with those games. Uh, with being a, a tough game against Penn State. And now what you can't do is you can't have a repeat of 2017 this week because in 2017 they lost 55-24 to 24 to Iowa after an emotional win over Penn State, and that, that was it. So you can't have that happen this week as you go to play Nebraska, which, as we'll talk about a little bit later, even though Nebraska's 3-6, Nebraska is not a non-fret here, even though they're free and six. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But just in terms of this game, to me, it's a good win. It's a test survived. You did what you needed to do. But it is also a reality check of a lot of, a lot of Ohio State fans I was talking to last week were feeling like Ohio State's just going to roll through the rest of their competition in the Big Ten. They're clearly the best team in the Big Ten. They've started to the pull away. And they're gonna dominate all these opponents. And I think Saturday was a reality check of okay, maybe not. Like this is still a team that has some things it needs to get better at. Those wins against inferior opponents, the way they dominated them, the way they were supposed to, that was great. But you know, you, you look at this November schedule ahead. I mean Nebraska and Purdue are not gimme games and then you've got Michigan State and and Michigan who, you know, I think both played well enough on Saturday to show that they are frets too. And so uh, there's a lot of tough games ahead. And now Ohio state has to learn from the things that didn't go perfectly against Penn state and respond the right way
1: to play devil's advocate a little bit there though, Dan, and we'll talk about, of course, once the the rankings come out, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but despite the fact that that game might've been a wake up call might've given you given Ohio state a reality check that it needed at this point in the season, do you does the the win actually make you more confident in Ohio State as a real playoff contender or less so? Because I would say just because I was where my expectations were was that I was kind of expecting Ohio State to put on a a really great performance and really look like a legitimate play, playoff contender against Penn State even though Penn State's a, a very solid team. I come out of that game a little a little more hesitant. And especially seeing what a team like Michigan State's doing, now I kind of think to myself, Ohio State's going to have a few more tough battles in the Big Ten down the stretch.
0: Yeah, I think to me, I think I look at it and say, well, they survived one of the biggest tests that they had. So I think that's the positive of it is, okay, they've gotten through Penn State that we knew all along that was going to be one of the biggest tests. They've gotten through Penn State. That helps. They're still in that position where they need to be. Now, like you said, I mean, I think there are tough tests ahead. That said, does, Saturday, does anything I saw Saturday change my prediction that I would pick Ohio State to beat Michigan State in a vacuum? No, I, w- I would still pick Ohio State to beat Michigan State. I would still pick Ohio State to beat Michigan. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen because – this is a tough stretch. I mean, especially, especially that end of November stretch where you've got to go beat Michigan State and Michigan in back to back weeks, and then you're going to have to play a Big Ten championship game after that. I mean, this is a tough stretch. So the possibility of Ohio State slipping up is still a very real one, and they've got to bring it every single week if they're going to get through that stretch. So, you know, that's, that's why I don't think I'm ever going to be at a point here over these next five weeks where I'm going to be super confident that Ohio state is going to make the playoff just because of the fact that they've got five more tough games to win, but this was a big hurdle to overcome. And I think that's a good thing. I mean, that's a good thing is you you did come overcome the team that has consistently given Ohio state, the most trouble of any big 10 team over the last six
1: years. I'll just throw this out there as well. Another positive from that performance on, on the defensive side of things. I thought the defensive line has been playing really well as of late Four sacks again, Ohio State's up in the, at the top 10 in the country in sacks now, which if you remember the beginning of the season, we were wondering where the sacks were coming from for the Ohio state defensive line. Now we're seeing guys like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith routinely in the backfield, making plays. Of course, Jerron cage, one of the highlight plays of the season really for Ohio state with that big 57 yard touchdown return on a scoop and score fumble return and who would have thought we've had two different defensive tackles for Ohio State both with huge fumble return touchdowns already through the first eight games of the season with of course Haskell Garrett doing the same thing in the season opener but those guys are I feel like are really coming together a lot of tackles for loss we saw different blitz packages and things like that for Ohio State as well with guys like Steel Chambers being in the backfield guys like Lathan Ransom getting a big sack in that game It fe- and of course let's let's even talk about the the play against the run—I mean, Penn State only had 33 yards on 29 attempts in that game. So all of those things kind of tell me that the, the defensive line right now is really trending up for high State.
0: You could have given me at least 40 guesses last week of who would score touchdowns against Penn State, and I would not have said Jaron Cage.
1: I mean, he, he would not—he would not have been high on my on my list, or even present on my bingo card. I don't think for that game, Dan. Definitely one of the uh, plays we're going to remember from this season, though—an
0: awesome moment. For Jaron, and we look forward to uh, talking to him at uh, media availability later this week uh, to hear more about that from his point of view. We do have a couple other questions related to this game. Uh, you know, STL Buckeye 15, you know, going back to the red zone, asked about, you know, how concerned should we be about this and do you expect to see any changes going forward, i.e., in play calling? And I did ask Ryan Day about that on Tuesday, and, and he said he thought it was both scheme and execution. He did think there were things they could have done differently schematically, so I'm sure they will have some new uh, things in place uh, going forward for those red zone situations uh, because, you know, I, I do think it's a fair criticism to say that the play calling was a little too vanilla in the red zone in this game, that it was a lot of just running straight up the middle and it wasn't working, so I, I do think... It's fair to say that the play calling should have been a little more varied in the red zone. They should have tried some different things when what they were trying to do really wasn't working very well. At the same time, what Ryan Day said Tuesday is true. They've got to be able to run the ball in the red zone. They've got to be able to finish off drives that way. And so I think that's going to remain a big point of emphasis. I don't think in the next game, you're going to suddenly see them pass the ball three times in a row in the red zone. I think they're still going to be trying to you know finish off drives uh, you know with that power running game. you know, first and foremost, they just need to execute better. They, they need to block better. they need to not make penalties that put them in bad situations in the red zone. But I do think that you're probably going to see some different wrinkles there going forward because when things don't work. You have to find ways to make it work.
1: Minbuck kind of gets into some of the same things we were just talking about a second ago by asking, isn't this Penn State game exactly what Ohio State needed to the extent any complacency was setting in after the blowouts? Was this a wake up call? And if there was any doubt that the team could get a tough win and asks about a player like Trayvon Henderson finally getting, what was it like 28 carries, something 28 like that? 28 uh, carries. Yep. He finally got the, the, the game in, in that regard that a lot of people have been calling for for a while asks if getting uh, bruises like that after light workloads recently is good for him. I don't necessarily think that's good for him just because he was already a little bit banged up from week to week and I think he probably is a little bit more so now after that game. But at the same time, he he did say after the game himself that he he felt like he needed a tough game like that to prove to himself that he, to test his metal and kind of get a, another gear out of himself. And the fact that he stuck with it and ended up having that big 68-yard rush in the second half, I mean, goes to show that he didn't just give up in that game when a lot of those runs were going for one yard, negative two yards at the beginning of the game. But Minbuck says, with all of those things happening and it still getting a nine-point win sounds perfect, I think that's kind of the sentiment you were you were echoing as well. And I think, yeah, that, that that's a positive spin you can definitely take if you're an Ohio State fan going into next week.
0: Yeah, and Ryan Day was asked about it after a game, and he was asked about it again on Tuesday, and he indicated that he did think that it would be a good thing for a team to have been through this. You know, Brian Hartline said similar things, but he also made the point. It's a lot easier to save it after a win. You know, So I think you'd always like to go into a game and take care of business easily and not be in a position where you could potentially lose the game in the fourth quarter. So that certainly isn't what they were going for. They certainly wanted to win in more convincing fashion and they're certainly frustrated by the things that kept them from winning the game in more convincing fashion since as we've talked about you know there there are certainly things you can look at and say if these things happened differently they could have won it in more convincing fashion but at the same time like i still it's like i don't i don't think people should be super surprised by what happened on saturday because it's penn state penn state always plays ohio state tough and you know, again, I think it's kind of a reality check of okay, just because we were beating up on these, you know, below average Big 10 teams doesn't mean that all of Ohio State's problems are solved. Doesn't mean that the Buckeyes are just going to roll into the playoffs. So again, it's all about how you r- respond to this. I mean, Zach Harrison made the point after the game that Nebraska and all the other teams on their schedule, they're going to be watching that Penn State film and seeing what Penn State did successfully against them to try to replicate it themselves. So they have to get better. It's only a good thing for Ohio State if this spurs them to improve more. If they don't improve upon the issues that were apparent in the Penn State game, then it doesn't matter. But if they can use that as a learning opportunity to then play better in these tough games they have coming up then certainly it could prove at the end of the season to have been a good thing because we certainly I think have seen at times with Ohio State teams where you know things are you know rolling along and maybe they needed that wake-up call needed that competitive game that they didn't have so I think to have that under their belt and to prove they can win a tough game against a ranked opponent I think that's certainly a good thing that they've been able to show now that they can do. Well, Griffin, let's talk some about the college football playoff rankings that just came out on Tuesday night with Ohio State coming in fifth in the initial college football playoff rankings. And I think that was actually higher than a lot of Ohio State fans were expecting because I uh, put it out there on uh, my Twitter right before the rankings were announced. I said, "Where do you guys think Ohio State will be ranked?" And, and most of our responses came in at six or seven. So for Ohio State to be ranked fifth, and then you look at the the way the rankings shape up right now, one of the teams ahead of Ohio State is Michigan State, who Ohio State will play on November twenty. Michigan, who Ohio State will play on November twenty-seven, is ranked seventh. No other team in the country, period, is going to play two of her top seven teams in the regular season which means ohio state's already in a position right now to where if it beats michigan state it should move up into the top four it has bigger opportunities to bolster its resume than any other team in the country right now and so to me that just goes back to what i've been telling y'all all all along is that if ohio state wins out it's going to make the college ball playoff and there's really nothing to worry about would you agree with that
1: Well, Dan, let me just play devil's advocate here, because you did outline a scenario in your article, which was the exact scenario I was thinking of when I read your headline and I was like, I agree, I agree, there's definitely cause for optimism for Ohio State, but there's this one scenario that's kind of keeping me from being completely gung-ho about Ohio State's chances, and that's that, of course, if if Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, which means that both of them would theoretically be a one-loss team at that point. We, we believe that those teams would both get in to the playoff at that point if, the, if those were the only losses on their resumes. And if Oklahoma, despite the fact that they're sitting at eight right now as an undefeated team, are they really going to get left out if they win out and are a Big 12 champion at the end of the season? Because it's one thing to, to leave Oklahoma out right now, but if they end up undefeated at that point as the Power 5 champion, it's going to be really hard to keep them out as well and at minimum, it'll create a conversation with teams like Oregon and Ohio State if both of them also went out. It'll create, at minimum, a conversation where we won't know for sure how things will will fold, unfold. And that's the situation that gives me a little bit of cause to, to kind of pause and process the whole thing.
0: Yeah, I think if there's one scenario that could potentially keep Ohio State out, it's that one right there. But I think that's the only scenario. At this point, it's keeping Ohio State out if Ohio State wins the rest of its games and is a 12 and one Big Ten champion, because I think Ohio State being ahead of Cincinnati, while I think it's unfortunate for Cincinnati, and I don't know, that I necessarily agree with it. I think it's good for Ohio State because Cincinnati doesn't play another ranked team. So at least a team that's ranked right now. So Cincinnati, I don't see a path where Cincinnati going undefeated. Jumps Ohio state. Same goes for wake forest, which is ranked ninth. Ohio state has the opportunity to add to its resume in the way that the other teams they're competing for a berth with do not. And so I think that pretty much gives Ohio state. Maybe it's not a hundred percent chance that Ohio state makes the playoff if it wins out, but I think it's pretty close because I also think that at the end of the day, there's a good chance Ohio State's going to jump Oregon. I think Oregon should be ranked ahead of Ohio State as it is right now because they both have identical records, and Oregon has the head-to-head win over Ohio State. But with Oregon also not having any ranked teams left on its schedule, no other ranked teams in the Pac-12, so it's possible they don't play another ranked game for the rest of the season, and Ohio State still having Michigan State and Michigan and potentially another ranked opponent in the Big Ten Championship game with three Big Ten West teams being ranked, I think at the end of a the season, there's a good chance the committee is going to say, at this point, Ohio State's resume is stronger than Oregon, even if they both finish as 12-1 and conference champions. And so, to me, I think if you're an Ohio State fan, the only thing you really need to worry about is whether Ohio State will win the rest of its games, which is a very real thing to worry about because, as we just talked about, They play two teams who are ranked in the top seven. So Michigan State and Michigan are absolutely good enough to beat Ohio State if Ohio State doesn't play its best football. Even Nebraska and Purdue in the next two weeks are good enough to beat Ohio State if Ohio State doesn't play its best football. So that's where their focus should be. And I think that's the only thing Ohio State fans really need to worry about. said maybe there's maybe there's one scenario that could potentially cause some concern for Ohio State but to me the way it's set up it it's it's all set up perfectly for Ohio State to make the playoff that wins out
1: yeah I just think that the thing is the one scenario just in my head like I could so easily see that scenario happening at least not not in terms of Ohio State not get jumping back over Oregon if they end up winning out or something. But I I'm just saying purely the fact that o- if Oklahoma wins out, Oregon wins out and Alabama beats Georgia, like I think those things might all be likely to happen. So that's just why I think that there is some, some cause for concern. But like you said, with Ohio state having the chance to be two top 10 two top seven teams in the home stretch here, that puts them in a very good position. I just think in general with this, it just shows how interesting the, the different levels of subjectivity are with this process in general, because the puzzle pieces just don't fit together quite right, right? Because you're looking at Alabama and Oregon, they both have worse losses than Ohio State's loss. If you're talking about just one loss teams and Oregon from a week to week basis, you could, you could make an argument has looked worse than Ohio State. But of course, Oregon has the head to head win over Ohio State for Alabama for me at number 2 what strikes me as odd there is that you say Gary Porter said that they don't take past years into consideration right but if that's the case then Alabama is a one-loss team and that loss is worse than other people's one loss and so but th- but then you look at it and you say well who are you going to put ahead of Alabama because Cincinnati and Oklahoma aren't in the top 4 as undefeated teams so does that mean you can put a Michigan State or an Oregon ahead of Alabama and both of those don't really seem right either to do. So it's very interesting. This year in particular, because teams have losses and upsets have happened this year, the puzzle pieces are just don't don't fit quite right right now. But of course, with this being the rankings being early, th- this being the first rankings, we know things are going to change and the conversation is going to be completely different in a couple weeks here, probably. Anything else that
0: jumped out at you from the rankings uh, that came out on Tuesday night?
1: I would just say Oklahoma, I I, I saw a lot of people kind of praising the fact that Oklahoma was punished, if you will, for not dominating a lot of these unranked teams that they've played. Obviously, they got put at number eight, but then they're much higher in the AP poll and the coaches poll. I kind of agree with that sentiment, though, from the committee, just because if you're barely beating teams week after week after week, there there has to be some type of, of punishment for that, I think now like we just talked about it's going to be a lot harder for them to remain down there even if even if they win out and they win they win the rest of their games by 3 points it's still going to be difficult at the end of the day if they completely win out to say to leave a power 5 champion a big 12 champion defeated out of the mix there
0: yeah i think oklahoma is for sure going to climb up the rankings I, I don't know if it's guaranteed that they climb into the top 4 at this point just because they're starting out at 8 but I would tend to think that if Oklahoma wins out it's going to make the playoff because of the fact that it it still has two games against top 12 teams in Baylor and Oklahoma State remaining in the regular season. It seems to me like the eye test really is playing a lot into these at least these initial rankings just based on the fact that Oklahoma was ranked eighth as they've you know struggled to beat a lot of these teams. If that's it Alabama's ranked Number two, and even Ohio State being number five. Like, I actually wanted to ask Gary Barta on Tuesday why Ohio State was ranked fifth because he said that Ohio State doesn't have a signature win, which I think is a fair thing to say. And basically, his rationale for Ohio State being ranked fifth was their offense is really explosive, which is is true. And I, I I'm not saying that's not a valid reason to rank Ohio State fifth, but there's not really a clear rationale for it. I know people probably don't want me to say that because it sounds like an anti-Ohio state thing to say, but it it just goes to the larger point of there's not really any real criteria for this thing. At the end of the day, it's they, they rank the teams the way they want to rank the teams. And the good news is if you're an Ohio state fan is it certainly seems right now, like Ohio state has the committee's respect that the committee, fully intends on putting Ohio state in the college football playoff if it wins out. And so if you're an Ohio state fan, that's really all that matters. But I do think that if you're not an Ohio state fan, if you're just looking at these rankings, uh, there's plenty of re there's plenty of quibbles you can have with, with these rankings. I mean, you, you can absolutely question why is Cincinnati sixth. I mean, you can absolutely you can absolutely question why is Alabama second? I mean, there's, it, if you're just looking at straight resumes, those things become harder to reconcile. But I think if we're just talking about Ohio State's path to the playoff, it looks pretty clear. And I think if Alabama or Oregon or Oklahoma was to lose a game, then it would be basically entirely clear as long as Ohio State wins out, which, again, is much easier said than
1: done. I'll counter the signature win thing just by saying, which I've seen a lot of people saying this, if Ohio State doesn't have a signature win, what's Alabama's signature win? Because Minnesota right now is on Ohio State's resume as the number 20 team in the first CFP rankings. Ole Miss for Alabama is only four spots ahead of Minnesota. So with Alabama having a worse loss than Ohio State, you see how those things kind of don't stack up. And I'm not saying that Ohio State should be ranked ahead of Alabama or anything. I'm just saying you can easily poke holes in some of these statements from Gary Barda and see how things aren't exactly, don't exactly add up because there's just inherent subjectivity involved in this process. What else is new? Let's look ahead to one of those tough matchups you just alluded to coming up. Not the toughest matchup, not the toughest matchup, but maybe tougher than you realize if all you've seen is Nebraska's record on paper because they're three and six, but all six of those losses, Dan have come by single digits and three of them to actual top 10 current top 10 AP teams right now which of course are Oklahoma which Nebraska only lost two by touchdowns 23-16 we've got Michigan State as well only a field goal margin of victory in that game for the Spartans and Michigan as well at 30, a 32-29 victory over Scott Frost and company so really I've seen some people say on social media like maybe the best 3 and 6 team that there could possibly be in college football uh, what are your initial thoughts when you look at this Huskers team then
0: yeah, I mean, there's two different ways you can look at it. You can look at it on one hand and say, well, Ohio- Nebraska hasn't lost a game by more than eight points. On the other hand, you can look at it and say, Nebraska's been in six games that have been decided by one score and they're 0-6 in their own six of those games. So this is a team that's shown it can play everybody competitively. It hasn't shown that it can actually win competitive games. So, you know, that's the disconnect. If you're a Nebraska fan right now, you're not feeling good about the fact that you've kept it competitive in every game because you haven't won those games. And uh, if Nebraska doesn't find a way to win on Saturday, they are going to have their fifth straight losing season, including their fourth losing season since Scott Frost took over and will miss a bowl game again. And so this is a team that, you know, is as pretty consistently underperformed here. Uh, since they've joined the Big Ten, and especially in the past half decade. And this year has been no different in that regard in terms of the results. With that being said, in terms of the threat to Ohio State this week, they are a threat. Again, not the biggest threat, but it's one of those games when we talk about trap games. This is definitely a game that fits those criteria in terms of Ohio State coming off a tough win. If if Ohio State doesn't go into this game and play with the same kind of intensity that they have for the past month here, this is a game that could potentially get dicey because, again, Nebraska's defense, they rank 27th in the country in scoring defense. I think you said they, they held Oklahoma and Michigan State to both 23 points, which are way below their season averages. They held Michigan to 29 points. So... They've played competitively against very legitimate competition. So I think certainly that tells you that this is not a terrible team by any means. And I'm not going to say it's a good team because they're free and six. (laughs) But this isn't a terrible team. This isn't a team that's incapable of an upset win. And so I think especially on offense – you know, Ohio State is going to have to play well. They're going to have to get things clicking. I think this will be – it won't – I don't think it will be as tough of a test for the offense as Penn State's defense, but I think it will be a tougher test than Indiana and Maryland and Rutgers. And so I, I do think, you know, this is a defense that's it's capable of giving Ohio State some resistance. Offensively, Nebraska hasn't been great, but, you know, if if you take out the four-interception game – from Adrian Martinez last week. Aside from that, he's had the best year of his career, statistically, for Nebraska. And so, you know, he he's a guy that, you know, he, I don't know that he's quite reached the heights at this point in his career that people thought he was going to three years ago, but he's a guy that's made some plays against Ohio State in the past, has has given them trouble at times in the past. And so, I think this game is another test i think you definitely want to see ohio state win this game convincingly because this isn't it's not penn state it, it, it you definitely would like to see ohio state respond and win this game in convincing fashion but i don't think it's anywhere near a foregone conclusion that the buckeyes will because i do think you know it's a nebraska team i mean They've got something to play for in this game, because if they if they again, if they don't win this game, their chances of of a bowl game go up the window. This is a team that's already played nine games, so if if they lose to Ohio State on Saturday, they will know at that point they only have two games left this season. And so they've got something to play for in front of a home crowd. I think they are going to be hungry to try to finally win one of these competitive games, and so I think Ohio State. Needs, needs to play well to ensure they don't put themselves in a position where they could potentially you know, lose this position they've put themselves in to have a chance to win a Big Ten title and make the college football playoff.
1: I mean, let's be honest. The fact that they've already lost six games and are holding teams to like 20 points a game on the season is ra- a rather impressive stat. But it's another one of those games that we've kind of talked about before where Nebraska, at least on paper, a tough defense but aren't really world beaters on offense in terms of the the points they're putting on the board because obviously they haven't put enough points on the board to beat teams that they're still holding to relatively low numbers of points. Adrian Martinez, however, will present one of those things again where it's a, a mobile quarterback that'll, that'll be a different element for Ohio State than they've faced in some of these games recently. I think he's already got like 11 rushing touchdowns yep. this season, which is very impressive. He's on pace to set a number of career highs this year across the board. In his uh, senior season, obviously, he's been around for a long time. He was even there in the 2018 game where they really challenged Ohio State. Do I see another game like that happening? Honestly, after the Penn State game, it wouldn't shock me as much to see a, a, a tough game like that happen again, I think. However, like you said, I, th- I think that Ohio State is going to distance itself a little bit from Nebraska I might even have the same score prediction. I might be spamming the same score prediction that I used for last week's game because it still sounds like a very reasonable score. I think I'm going to go 41-20 for this game with Ohio State winning and covering.
0: I'm going 41-21, so we really... I'm glad I got
1: mine out before yeah, you said yours. So yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I heard
0: you go, I heard where you were going, If and I went, ah, oh, damn, because you now he's going to say the same score prediction that I have. But I guess we're both pretty much on the same page there. We think, you know, not going to necessarily be a game where the offense cruised like it did against Indiana and Rutgers and Maryland. Not necessarily going to be a game where they're going to completely shut their opponent down on defense. But we do, we are still both going for cover here. The spread is 15 and a half. We're both going with the cover. You know, I don't know that I bet my savings on Ohio State covering this game, but to me, a free free score win for Ohio State, that sounds about right to me.
1: I think offensively for Ohio State, you're kind of looking at an average now because you've seen what they can do when they play absolutely perfect, and you've seen what they do. They can still put up a, a decent amount of points even when they have a lot of mistakes. Now, so somewhere in between... Those two extremes, I think, is what I'm anticipating for this game against Nebraska.
0: couple more football questions uh, that we got this week. Uh, I survived Cooper. He asked a two-part question. So the first part of his question, in your judgment, what is the ceiling for this defense this year? Is this defense good enough to make it into the CFP and run the table? And he his analysis is tall task at looking look, looking at realistically since they will have to show that they can stop prolific offenses. I mean, the question of, is this defense good enough to make it into the college ball playoff? I mean, I'll say yes. It mean, doesn't mean they're going to, but I'll say that it is. I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I think the I think the defense is legitimately significantly better than it was in those first couple games of the season. I don't know that I necessarily agree with Ryan Day's assessment after the game on Saturday of, I thought we played great defense in this game, and if we keep playing like this, you know, we got a chance to achieve all our goals. And I don't don't think the defense was great against Penn State. I thought it was okay. I mean, again, they, they allowed Sean Clifford to throw for over 300 yards. You know, I think the thing that's interesting, I was looking at the stats the other day, is when we were first talking about this defense early in the year, we were talking about, like, how the pass defense is actually better but the run defense is really bad. Now if you look at the stats, it's kind of looking more like last year where Ohio State is 16th in in rushing yards allowed per game right now. They're I mean they haven't they haven't allowed almost any rushing touchdowns <laughs> since the first couple games of the season. But if you look at their passing numbers, they're currently 92nd in passing yards allowed per game. Now, some of that's because teams are playing from behind, so they're not running the ball as much. They're, they're passing the ball more. But, you know, I feel like what the issues were at the start of the year aren't necessarily the same exact issues that are plaguing the team now. I mean, it's a, it's a different defense. You know, I think as I come out of that game on Saturday, I, I do think it reinforces what I feared going into that game of, I don't think the linebackers are great. I, I think the linebackers are still a weakness on this team. I think if you look at a lot of those third down conversions Penn State had, it was because linebackers were not where they needed to be in coverage. You know, I think I think the cornerback play has been a lot better this year than it was last year. Like Griffin said, "I, I think the defensive line is is emerging. I think the defensive lines played a lot better in the last few games than it did early in the season." This is not an elite defense, and I think if you're talking about like a pr- prospective playoff matchup with a Georgia who has shown that it can shut down everybody, there's I definitely have a concern there because Ohio State's offense is probably not going to be able to put up a ton of points on a team like Georgia, and I, I don't think this is a defense that's going to shut down any great team. But it, it's also not like we've seen this defense be a sieve, so. I think it's good enough. I, I think the issue is, and I think this is what I survived Cooper is getting at, is if you need to rely on the defense to win a big game, you might not be able to do that. I think, I think the defense did what it needed to do against Penn State, so let's give it credit. But this is still a defense that's going to be reliant on Ohio State's offense being able to do what it's supposed to do in order to win big games.
1: I think if you're trying to make a case that the defense did win the game for Ohio state, like Ryan day was saying against Penn state, like they really did walk a fine line because if Ohio state, the Ohio State defense had made one less play, if they had one less turnover and Penn state had one more touchdown, that's a a, a two point game right there in terms of the final score. And we could be talking about a, a very different team, but, Very different game. But you look at the only 24 points given up, three turnovers, a defensive touchdown. All of those things, I think, factor into the fact that the defense made just enough plays to have to put forth a pretty solid effort. And especially if you can completely shut down a team's run game, even with Sean Clifford doing what he did. I think there were definitely positive signs, but it was it was like we're saying it was a it was a fine line there, because if if one more big Penn State touchdown had happened or something like that, then we could be have a, a little more concern about the defense, I think, coming out of that performance. Now, do they have a, a defense good enough to make the CFP? I say yes, because, I mean, look at the defense. We've, we've seen a team like Oklahoma field in, in past years. Now I mean, Look at last year. I mean, they made an extra game right. with
0: a bad defense.
1: Yeah, yeah. So to make the CFP is one thing, but then to compete against the other best teams in the country, thats that's the question, and that's an area that I have more concern about. Right, and I don't think we can answer that
0: question with any kind of certainty. I think we can guess, but like I think the reality is we're not going to know until Ohio State gets fair, if Ohio State gets fair, if the defense is really good enough for Ohio State to win it all.
1: I mean, last year the defense was good enough to beat Clemson and have a really good game for, for at least a half of that game, so what does that tell you?
0: Well, I think that gets to the second part of the question, because I Survived Cooper also asked, does our offense truly have what it takes to win out, including Georgia, because when up against formidable defenses, we are looking rather reminiscent of how our offense looked against Bama in the national championship game. Do we have what it takes to, to win it all, or has Ryan Day been figured out is his question? I mean, to the second part... I I would not say that. I would not say that Ryan Day has been figured out. I think Ryan Day is uh, absolutely one of the best offensive minds in college football. And I think that he is going to continue to adapt and continue to incorporate new things in the offense, particularly in the red zone, like we talked about before, to, to try to work through things that aren't going perfect. But I mean, again, we, 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 we've seen what this offense is capable of. And what this offense is capable of is being the best offense in the country of... You know, putting up tons of points and tons of yards on teams, and so I still believe this offense is elite. You know, that doesn't mean, though, that when you play great defenses, that you're going to be able to score it well. I mean, that's, it, you know, it, it, it's it's hard to be able to do that. And so, again, this is a question like, okay, we need to see like how do they play against Michigan? I mean, how do they play against? teams that have better defenses, because I do think it's a fair point that we've talked up this offense so much, but against the two best defenses they've played, they've scored 61 total points. So it's, to, you know, again, we I remember we were asked a month or so ago about how this offense compares to Alabama last year and LSU the year before. If Ohio State, if this year's Ohio State offense is going to be that level of offense, it, it has to be able to, put up big points even against the best defenses in the country. So we'll see on that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump to any conclusions one way or another after we've really only seen them play against two elite teams. But certainly it is a fair question that, you know, again, whether this offense can or this offense is good enough to carry an okay defense and win those really big games. I mean Again, it's one of those things it's like I'd love to be able to answer a question and say yes or no, but the truth is we don't know. We, we're not going to know. That's why the games are played. <laughs> and so we can guess based on what we see over the course of a season, but for me to sit here and tell you yes or no, this offense is good enough, to me we're we're not going to know for sure one way or the other until that
1: game actually comes. Yeah, here's an interesting question I just kind of thought of on the on the spot here. Was this actually Ohio State's worst offensive performance of the season? Because think about it. In the Oregon game, think about the yards C.J. Stroud put up in that game. I think they scored more, right? I mean, 28 points in that game. Then the, the the other game in the running there would be, of course, Tulsa. But then in that game, you had Henderson run for 277 yards. So in terms of an overall offensive performance, this might actually have been Ohio State's worst game. If you think about just the lack of being able to run the ball for most of the game, the fact that really without that, that 38-yard touchdown to Chris Olave, I mean, they really needed that, that play in that game, I feel like.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, they only scored two offensive touchdowns. That's before that game, they had scored at least four offensive touchdowns in every game. So I think it's, it's definitely fair. Because, again, if you take up a Jerron Cage touchdown— the offense scored less points in that game than any other game this season. So I think that's fair, but I also think Penn state's best defense they've played. And so theoretically your offense should play its worst game when it's playing against the best defense. And so that's why I, I I don't want to put too much into it because it was a really good defense. I think Penn state has a better defense than most of the teams they're going to play this season. Including some potential college football playoff opponents. And so I, I don't think anybody should be panicking about that game. Because again, they punched it in a couple more times in the red zone. You know, they have almost 50 points against Penn State, a, a team that had, hadn't allowed. Well, I mean,
1: they're averaging 14.7 points per yeah, game on the season. They had
0: not allowed more than 23 points in a game. Before that game, and Ohio State scored 33 on more yards than any other team it had against Penn State this year. So I still think this is an elite offense. Yeah, it wasn't an elite performance against Penn State. I'll definitely say that, but I still think this is an elite offense, and I don't necessarily think that every game against a good defense is going to look like the Penn State game.
1: Yeah, and I only brought up that point up to kind of underscore what I was saying earlier, which was in terms of what you should expect from the Ohio State offense moving forward, I wouldn't expect them to score 66 points and, and score a touchdown on every possession, but I also would not expect Ohio State to only score on two of 12 possessions in terms of touchdowns like we saw on Saturday. So I think somewhere in the middle is where you're going to find that sweet spot. And like we talked about, a lot of those wounds in the Penn State game were self-inflicted ones, despite how good the Penn State defense was. All right, let's talk a little bit of basketball because on Monday night, Ohio
0: State played in its exhibition. You were there at the Schottenstein Center, Griffin. What were your biggest takeaways from the exhibition game?
1: Well, first of all, one of the biggest things in terms of just in the immediate future for the Ohio State team is that Justice Suing didn't even play. He actually sat out hurt. And honestly, because we had just talked to Justice Suing and Justin Arms on the on Friday before the Monday exhibition. And suing was saying, asked about his health because of course last year he was constantly seen with that like towel kind of wrapped around his groinish area. I never really knew what that injury was, but it was clear that he and a lot of other players down the stretch of the season were banged up a bit, but it appears that it's a, it's a lower leg injury and that it has, a, that's the same injury he had at the end of last season. He's still dealing with it. Now it hasn't healed as fast as he thought it would. And Chris Holman didn't exactly give a timeline for when he would return. So I would caution even we might not even see him in the actual season opener next week. Dan, other takeaways for you from, for you from the exhibition.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, going off of that, I, I think it was interesting to see the starting lineup in that game because they started with both Jamari Wheeler and Michi Johnson in the backcourt with Justin Arns, EJ Liddell and Zed Key in the front court. Certainly. I think if justice suing is healthy, he would factor into that. But I think I, I it was interesting if they started both Jamari and Michi, because I think we, we think of both of them as point guards, but it seems like Michi could end up seeing a lot of time at that two-guard spot, with you know Jamari being a primary ball handler when he's on the floor. But Michi being a guy who, as they look to replace that scoring of Dwayne Washington, I think Michi's a guy that they're definitely hoping can, can generate a lot of that out of a backcourt. And you know I'm not sure if, if Suing was back... You know, would he would he replace Arns? Would maybe Arns, you know, start at the two in that lineup? But uh, to me, that was one of the more interesting takeaways that with with those two starting together in the backcourt, that seems to me like something that's real that could potentially be the way they line up in the backcourt in the regular season too.
1: It's really interesting because when Josey brought in Cedric Russell, people were like, "Oh, he could replace Dwayne Washington scoring wise." He did not have a great game. Against Indianapolis, only one for seven shooting, I think, and Chris Holman has said repeatedly that he needs more time to kind of adjust to the the step up in competition and the big ten level of play. but I don't know and and then a lot of people also thought that Malachi Brandon could be a guy that could replace Dwayne Washington potentially as a true freshman. I don't think a lot of people have been thinking of Michi Johnson as the Dwayne Washington replacement. I think Monday's exhibition was the first time that people were kind of go. Oh, maybe he actually because we just didn't see a whole lot from him offensively. We saw him take some spot up threes last year, and that was about it. He never shot more than three shots in a game last year. On Monday, Michi Johnson was doing a whole lot of things on offense, taking threes off the off the dribble shots, creating plays, driving inside, all types of stuff. So I think he's going to be a one of the potentially one of the leading scorers on the team if he remains as aggressive on offense as he was on Monday.
0: Yeah, I think it goes to show we really can't take a lot away from what we saw from Michi last year. Because you know, if you think about like the football team, Michi was really when he came in last year, it was a very similar situation to Quinn Ewers and where you know he came in mid season. He's a guy that still should have been in high school at the time. And so to really evaluate what we saw from Michi last year, you know, the reality was like he, he was put in a tough spot. And so I don't think I don't think we saw what Michi is really capable of being as a player. Just from watching him last year and so i think certainly uh he's a guy that could play a a big role on the team this year you know a couple other guys that caught my attention zed key starting at that center spot you know i think he's probably going to be the starting center on this team and i was impressed by what i saw you think at 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 halftime he led the team in points rebounds and blocks and the starters didn't play as much of a second half but you know he's a guy he looks like he's in better shape than he was last year it looks like he's moving around better and a guy who's a really good fundamental player inside so i think he's a guy with all indications are they want EJ Liddell to play exclusively at a 4 this year so that leaves Zed Key and Joey Brunk and maybe Kyle Young at that center spot and I think Zed's a guy who's going to be really important for them in there. And then another guy who caught my eye was Eugene Brown. That's a guy we really didn't see play a lot last year. He actually led the team with 15 points off the bench. He was shooting the ball really well. He's a guy that going into Monday, I'm like, I really don't know what his role is going to be on this team this year. And I still don't know exactly what it's going to be. But I think my expectations are a little higher to where, you know, you mentioned a guy like a Cedric Russell before. You know, he's, if, if Cedric Russell's not ready for a big role right away, maybe Eugene Brown's a guy who, who maybe will take
1: on a bigger role than we might have thought. I asked Chris Holman multiple times already, a couple times this preseason about Eugene Brown because he looks physically, he's six. he's a big wing player for Ohio State, he looks like he's put on weight over the offseason. I asked Holman, is Eugene Brown going to be able to have more of a leash on offense? Also, when we saw him play in the scrimmage, he seemed like he was more aggressive offensively as well, and that showed in the exhibition, he led all scorers with 15 points against Indianapolis on six of seven shooting he did it inside and out all right so we've been talking about
0: doing an ohio state basketball team draft like our football draft that colin and i did in the summer here on the show and by the time we do next week's episode the season is going to be started so we got to do it now so here's how this is going to work there's 15 players on the team 14 scholarship players so we're each going to pick seven players we'll flip a coin to see who gets the number one pick whoever wins coin toss can pick which one they want and then we'll do a snake draft with alternating two picks until we get to the final two rounds so that whoever has the first pick will also have the last pick i think that's the most even way of doing it we'll pick seven players no restrictions on who you pick you can pick whoever you want and then we'll put together the lineups at the end And see how they look. So, all right, Griffin, I'm gonna use one of these online coin flipper. I'll let you call it Heads or Tails.
1: Tails never fails, my friend.
0: And we have got Heads. All right, so I get the choice. I am going to take the number one pick because I think we probably both agree on who the number one pick is. And that's E.J. Liddell. I mean, I, you can't go any other way than E.J. Liddell because I think he's clearly the most established player on this team. You know, he you know, he he is the guy. He He's probably going to be the leading scorer on this team, probably going to be the leading, leading rebounder on this team. I, I just don't think you can go any other way if a number one pick.
1: With E.J. Liddell off the board, by the end of the season, the, the number two guy on this team could be a number of different guys. But right now I have to go with – An established guy I've seen before, a guy that should have a bigger role on the team. He's a senior captain. Although we just talked about his his injuries, we don't know how that's going to affect things. I'm going to go with Justice Suing. He does a lot of things. He's very versatile, on defense and on offense. He can guard a lot of positions. He can play point guard for for Ohio State, and he can he can post up a little bit as well. He he does a lot of things. A guy that's going to give you a lot of value at a lot of different positions when you're building a team.
0: Yeah, no, I I think uh, that's who I would have gone
1: with too. You get two picks in a row, so who are you going with now for number three? This one might be a little, a little controversial, but maybe I'm reading too much into, into the exhibition, but I'm going to pick Michi Johnson, as a matter of fact, with my next pick, because it really looks like he might be a, a key scorer for Ohio State if he's going to be play as, as aggressive on offense as he did uh, last night. Yeah, I think that's a
0: great choice. If, if I had had the third pick, I would have had a tough choice there between two guys, and the other guy would have been Malachi Branham. So that's who I'm going to take number four, because this is an upside pick. This is a guy who I think by the end of the year, there's a good chance Malachi Branham is going to be the second best player on the team. I don't know if he will be at the start of a year, but if we're just talking about upside, what these guys can become, I got to go with Malachi Branham. I'm going to bet on his upside. And then the fifth pick, I'm going to go with Zed Key because I think Zed Key is a guy who's going to play a really big role on his team this year. And I think putting him together with EJ Liddell on the front
1: court gives me the best possible combination there in the post. I had a feeling you were going to go key there I'm going to go with Kyle Young even though man the injury issues just keep piling up for Kyle Young it always seems like there's something going on with him but I need some size on my team I can't go too positionless like Chris Holman likes to go I've got to get some size and I got to say I can't pick Joey Brunk in this spot after what (laughs) I saw last night so I'm going to go with Kyle Young with my next pick all right you got Kyle Young and then who are you going with with the seventh pick this is a tough one cuz there are it is a tough there one. are guys that could definitely rise by the end of the season and, and like we said I don't know how Eugene what role Eugene Brown's going to have by the end of the season but I'm actually going to go with Jamari Wheeler here because he gives me a point guard. Now I've got the the backcourt of of Johnson and Wheeler here. Wheeler, a guy defensively, he's really an asset for Ohio State. Offensively, Chris Holman wants him to see a little to, wants to see him do a little bit more and we'll see if he develops into more of a scoring role or spot-up three-point shooting role. But I'm going to stick with him right now as a defensive leader for Haaset. Yeah, that's a good choice.
0: I probably would have taken the same two players as you there. Uh, eighth pick, I'm going to go Justin Arns. I think, you know, Arns is a guy who could potentially be a starter on this team. I think he's pretty clearly in the top eight players on this team. So to me, best player available. I'm going to go Justin Arns there. And then, see, this is, this is where it gets tough. Because this is where I look at my board and I say, okay, who, who's top of my board? And then who maybe fits my lineup best? I'm going to go with Cedric Russell here because I, I, I don't know exactly what they're going to get out of Cedric Russell. But I do think he's a guy that if he can you know, get it figured out, get up to speed and, and be the kind of player he looks like he can be, he is a guy that would have some versatility there in the backcourt, you know, pair him with Malachi Branham. Neither of them is necessarily that true point guard, but I think both of them would have the ability to handle the ball as necessary. Necessary. So again, going with upside here, I'm going to take Cedric Russell.
1: I'm not too upset that you took Russell there because I'm going to take Eugene Brown, actually, especially after what we saw from him on Monday, a big offensive performance. Again, I don't know when, when suing comes back, maybe that takes some of that role from Eugene Brown, but I think this guy has a lot of upside in the Ohio State program, whether it's this year or even next year and beyond.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good choice. And then who are you going to go with for the 11th pick?
1: Now we're getting real tough here. We're getting real tough. I'm going to go with Seth Towns, who may not be actually playing for Ohio State until mid to late December, possibly, because he had an operation on a herniated disc in his back over the offseason. Obviously, the well-publicized issues with his knees in the past, However, he's, I like his skill set when he plays. He's got a, a nice offensive, a very developed veteran offensive repertoire in terms of what he can do facing up triple threat guy on the wing. Now his, his conditioning and his defense and things of that nature, that seems to be some things that are still going to need some work. Those are things that needed work last year and how much they're going to get out of him this year. It's, it still remains to be seen, but he's a guy that's got a lot of talent and we've seen at his best, he was the Ivy League player of the year. So I'm going to take Seth Towns. All right, I was, I was
0: worried you were going to take all the point guards from me. So that's why I was, I was trying to disguise my pick a little bit of Cedric Russell, like, okay, I'm going to play him at point, because I was thinking about taking Jimmy Sotos just so that I would have a true point guard, but glad you didn't take him. So Jimmy Sotos is my pick here at 12.
1: 13th pick. All right, all right. I have to do it. I've got to do it. My, my hand has been forced. Uh, not unfortunately, but my hand has been forced. I'm going to have to go with Joey Brunk, who I think, honestly, despite having a pretty underwhelming unofficial Ohio State debut against Indianapolis. He had no points, three turnovers, five fouls, and two rebounds in nine minutes against potentially the worst competition Ohio State's going to see all season. But he's a guy that he he didn't play all of last year. He's He might have a lot of a development to, to have this season, and he might shake some rust off and end up being a lot better than what we saw. And obviously the size, that's the big factor with him, six foot 11. He gives Ohio State a different dimension with that size now he's got to improve to be able to for house to actually be able to play him, but I'm going to have him on my team as the biggest guy on my team, of course.
0: Yeah. I think that's absolutely the right pick. Cause I mean, otherwise, you know, you don't have either of the true centers and I mean, he's a guy, we have him going 13th here, but I think he probably ends up playing, you know, the nine for 10th, most minutes at a minimum, just because they really only have two true centers in, in Zed key and Joey Bronk and Kyle Young's most likely going to miss the start of a season. And so I think that's a right pick, you know, for me now, it comes down to Kalen Etzler, who's going to redshirt this year, and, and Harrison Hookfin, who is the only walk-on on the team. Apologies to Hookfin, but I am going to go with Etzler here, be him a scholarship player. We're probably not going to see him play at all this season in game action, but he is a guy that's got some upside. He's he's an athletic guy, uh, a guy who's got some promise for the future. Uh, you know, he, on, on my team here, he's probably not getting a lot of minutes, but you know, in terms of having to pick, you know, one other guy, I, I am going to go with the
1: upside of Etzler there. Etzler honestly was pretty active in those minutes he got in against Indianapolis. Harrison Hookman, welcome to the team. So if we look
0: at our uh, teams here, I end up with EJ Liddell, Malachi Branham, Zed Key, Justin Arns, Cedric Russell, Jimmy Sotos, and Kalen Etzler. You end up with Justice Suing, Michi Johnson, Kyle Young, Jamari Wheeler, Eugene Brown, Seth Towns, and joey brunk so we'll we'll, we'll see what we'll see what our uh, listeners think but i I, th- I think those are pretty even. I mean you pretty much at every spot picked pretty much the guys that I will, probably would have taken if I were in your shoes there. and so uh no huge surprises there but i I do like what I got though, you having both Zed Key and e j Liddell in the post the upside of Malik Ibrahim. I do think, you know, you have the advantage at point guard, but I think everywhere else I like what I got.
1: Yeah, honestly the, the combination of Liddell and Key down low, which is obviously a conversation, a combination we just saw on Monday. That's a that's a combination that kind of scares me a little bit looking at my lineup, even though I do have a little bit of size there down low as well.
0: Well we'll we'll have a post on that on the site at some point this week with a poll that you all will be able to vote in. So uh, please be sure to chime in just as you did on a football poll. And hopefully I will not lose like 90 to 10 like I did against Colin. So uh, hopefully you guys will be a little bit nicer to me this time. Uh, we'll see. I think it'll be pretty even. So I'm I'm very interested to see where the listeners go on this one. But that'll do it for this week's show. We've covered a lot of stuff here on this week's show. And we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll have an actual uh, regular season basketball game to talk about next week. We'll have a game against Nebraska. We'll have another round of college football playoff rankings. So uh, plenty to talk about this time of year, a really busy time of year in Ohio State sports, And uh, we're going to cover it all for you the best we can. So thanks again for listening in, and we'll talk to you next week.